<laughs> Thank you. We're going to be looking at Luke 10 today. I, um, in my personal devotion at the moment, am slowly and leisurely reading my way through the book of Luke. And this week I was in, in chapter 10. And uh, I had an inkling that I was going to need to take a bit of a break from the series we've been teaching uh, because today was a special event. Uh, and obviously, you know, it goes without saying, I want to speak a message that I believe is pertinent for these two young men. And as I was reading the commentary, it's actually Warren Wearsby. And, and it, right at the start, there was the overview of Luke chapter 10. And, and something jumped on the inside of me and said, this is it. There's a great message here for Luke and for Mark, and also, I believe, for the rest of us. So if we open up uh, the book of Luke, and I'll tell you the stories uh, just quickly, really, and then we'll look at the overview again. We start, there's three sections. The first section, it starts in verse 1, uh, and in my Bible it's entitled, Jesus sends out his disciples. So the Lord now chose 72 other disciples sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go. And remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Verse 9, heal the sick. And tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. And then there's a little bit more detail into that. And then down in verse 25, a a second section starts. And in that account, verse 25, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then as you recall, it's quite a well-known story. Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, a Jew is out walking on a f- dangerous road. He gets, uh, gets attacked. Uh, he gets robbed. His clothes get stripped off and He gets beaten up, left to die on the side of the road. And as the story proceeds, two guys walk past and they see this mess lying on the other side. One's a, you know, they're both religious guys, well-respected, pillars of the community. You know what, they walk across the other side of the road because they're so busy and they shuffle on by. The third person who comes along is a Samaritan. This is significant because Samaritans uh, were viewed at that point as being slightly hostile, really, unfriendly neighbours with the Jews. And this guy, of course, rushes up and he 
tends to his wounds and he picks him up and he checks he's okay, takes him to the local inn and, and pays his way and makes sure he's looked after and catered for. And at the end of the, 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 the story, the Good Samaritan, Jesus said, and who do you think really was this man's neighbour? And then we move down to the third section here, down in verse 38, which is a, a short but really incisive little passage. And it's the story of Jesus visiting two ladies called Mary and Martha. They had a brother whose name was Lazarus, quite a famous guy. You might have heard of him. Uh, and verse 38 says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about it. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. You know, for teenagers being baptised, I was 14 when I was baptised, because that was the rules in the church I attended. You know, there is, I think, the sense, and you heard it in their stories to a degree, that this is the day that their adult Christian walk starts. You know, thank God for godly parents raising them up in in his ways. You know, thank God for church and for all they've learned and, and experienced. But now you've made an adult decision. From this moment forward, I am going to follow Jesus. Reminds me of that fabulous little verse, Joshua 24, verse 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, that, that, that statement, that, that, that stand, that, that public declaration is a major part, actually, of what baptism and as you step into the, the, the next step, the fresh leg of your journey, what would the Lord say to you? What is it then that you're called into? What, what does real Christian living look like? And as I was reading through the commentary of this passage, the, the commentator said that, that, that Luke 10 contained what he called the threefold ministry of every Christian believer. Sounds posh, doesn't it? The first one is ambassadors. Right, that's the story. Jesus sending the 72 out into the world. The second one is neighbours. Not the Australian soap. Guys, a bit old. You're too young for that. Uh, and the third one is worshippers. We all have a call to be ambassadors, to be neighbours, and to be worshippers. So, for Luke and Mark, this is the path that you've chosen. Let's look at each one of those individually. The first one is ambassadors. You know, the sense is that God, that Jesus sends us all out to continue and to multiply his work. Verse 9, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. And our privilege as children of God is to be sent out as ambassadors. You can have another look at another passage, if I may, in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, very familiar. And in verse 17 it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. 
a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ Jesus. Verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Leads to the question, really, so, so what is an ambassador and what do they do? Well, I looked this up in the dictionary and it describes an ambassador as a diplomatic official of highest rank, sent by one sovereign or state to another as its resident representative. He's an author, he or she, an authorised messenger or representative. So, so for us then, we are highly ranked officials sent by one sovereign, Jesus, to another, the world, as its resident representative, as its authorised messenger. That ties in with a couple of other New Testament thoughts. The first one is, is that we actually are just sojourners. It's an old-fashioned word. We're actually just temporary residents. We're travellers. Actually, we're just passing through this world. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours. Then even if they accuse you of wrongdoing, they will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when he judges the world. And the second thought, first one, we're travellers, we're passing through. This is actually our temporary home. The second one, actually our, our true citizenship is in heaven. That, that's our true home. That's our true identity. That's our true purpose. Philippians 1 verse 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. You know, we have, we have the amazing privilege of representing Jesus, of standing in his place, of speaking for him, and of acting on his behalf. That's amazing. It's also intimidating. It's a really significant call, but it's actually quite weighty. And huge commendations to, to you two guys for stepping out and doing that today. Reminded the old hymn, stand up. Stand up for Jesus. You know, there's a line you may, I mean, your line was a great one. I'd steal that too. A great line, you know, you are the only Jesus that they will ever see. You are the only Jesus that they will ever see. And that's a really optimistic statement, but I think it's a little bit scary, isn't it? But let me read you this verse. Acts 1, verse 8. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, 
telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, we do get to be witnesses, but we get the Holy Spirit empowerment. We get to do it in partnership, and we get to do it under his leadership. You know, we get to be a conduit. We get to be carriers of love and grace and power out into the world. Luke 10, verse 9, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. And ultimately, here's the task. Again, still in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Other versions talk about a ministry of reconciliation. You know, we've, we've already sung about it this morning, but the phenomenal work of Jesus on the cross was an act of reconciliation. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 verse 19 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace, here we go, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes who you once were, far away from God. And reconciliation means making peace across a divide. Literally, if you look at the, the origins of the word, it means to bring together again. A man was separated from God by sin. Essentially in a position of enmity. But Jesus bridged that gap and he made peace by dying on the cross. By paying the price for our sins. By washing us clean in his blood. And by raise, rising again for our salvation. And all that is beautifully symbolised in baptism as we'll see in a minute. First of all you go into the water. That's, that's dying to the old life, that's crucifying the old you. And then under the water, one, two, no, joking. <laughs> that, that, represents, that represents being washed clean. That's, that's what water symbolises, doesn't it, amongst other things. This idea of our sins, all that old stuff just being washed away. Water representing, I guess, the blood of Jesus that cleanses our sin. And then from there, the good news is you come back out of the water into new life in Christ. And again, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Amen. A new creation. Behold, old things are passed away and everything becomes new. And then we read in, in verse 21, it said how, how God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might be in right standing, righteous in God's sight. Fantastic. So number one, first part of your call to be ambassadors. The second part is a call to be a neighbour. And here we have in, in, in the second section, we have an expert in religious law quizzing Jesus. I'm not entirely sure what his motivation was. There's a fairly significant hint that the motivation wasn't entirely pure. But he was a smart guy and he gave Jesus the right answer. What do you think the law demands? Asked Jesus. Verse 27 of Luke 10, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. And here we have the Christian life summarised in two short sentences. i never forget my, my good friend and mentor Gisha Rowe saying, love God, love your neighbour, any questions? Actually, this guy did have a question. The question was, okay, then, so who is my neighbour? And actually, in that question, there was an implication or a suggestion. And the suggestion was, who can I exclude rather than who should I include? And Jesus made the real point. He understood the real question. The real question is, to whom can I be a neighbour? And then Jesus tells this wonderful, famous story of the Good Samaritan. Actually, we're not clear whether that was a parable or whether actually that was a story drawn from local news. We don't know that. But again, the summary of the story. There's this man down, having been beaten to within an inch of his life. And these two wonderful guys, religious guys, go walking past on the other side. And yet here comes this one man, this Samaritan guy. And he comes and does everything that you would want and expect a neighbour to do. And at the end, Jesus concludes, he says, the moral of the story is, be a good neighbour. Be a good neighbour. You know, this is a, a simple call, but it's a powerful call from Jesus to us. You know, we get to be a neighbour. We get to be a neighbour to those people around us, to, to anyone whose paths we cross, to the people we work with the people we sit next to in class, we stumble across, we see in need. We get to be a neighbour. Doesn't this tie in with the the current teaching thread that we've had about walking with people, about investing in people, about sowing the right seed, about earning the right to speak into people's lives? So, what does it mean to be a neighbour? Who was his neighbour? asked Jesus. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now you go and do likewise. And so for us, we get to be a neighbour. We get to show mercy. We get to be kind and to smile, to give time, to encourage, to be available, to serve, to forgive and to love. And I think there's an implication in this story. It may not always be to the easy ones, to the cooperative ones, and to the grateful ones. It might even be inconvenient. As I said, two guys in this story were too busy. They walked over, they passed by, and off they left. But the thing is, we get to be Jesus to them. And it may well be you are the only Jesus that they ever see. What I love about that is it's a really simple picture. And I say to myself, I can do that. Can't I? I can be a neighbour. The third one uh, is worshipper. Mary and Martha. You know, and at the core of your Christian life, gentlemen, ladies, must be an intimate walk with Jesus. You know, based on giving thanks, on worship, on prayer, on a dialogue with him, on fellowship, on a healthy attitude and an open heart. 
You know, this little story in Luke 10, it's a short story, but it's actually really strong and surprising. You know, Mary, Mar- sorry, Martha is busy preparing the house. I mean, Jesus was an honored guest. Why would you not do that? But it had become the thing, the main thing. And she was missing out. And there was Mary sitting at Jesus' face, feet, just drinking, drawing it in, just receiving, just basking in that moment. And Martha comes complaining, what are you doing? Jesus says, isn't he, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. Got a little scroll through the different translations of that, that they talk about her choosing the better thing, about her making the right choice. My version, the Living Translation, says it was the only thing worth being concerned about. The message says only, it says one thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course. You know, this passage is not anti-work. It's pro-worship. And the point is, this is the key cog in the wheel. This has to be first, and this has to be and become a priority. And we see Jesus, don't we, time after time, sneaking off, early in the morning, for retreat, quiet seclusion, seeking his father's heart and his father's mind. Makes me wonder, how much more do we need to make sure that we do that? And actually, outside of that relationship, work is in vain, Martha. It's in vain. Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. And see, for us as Christians, this must be the starting point. Everything we do, everything we do should be an outworking of our relationship with the Lord. Our time spent with him, seeking him, seeking his word, seeking his heart. The commentator Wearsby says, unless we meet with Jesus personally and privately, we'll end up like Martha, busy but not blessed. And the reality, if there is no water in your well, again, tying with with previous messages, if there is no water in your well, you'll have nothing to give. And so we as Christians need to take time to replenish. Ephesians 5 verse 18, we've been in that passage recently, be being filled with the Holy Spirit, constantly, ongoing, daily. Be filled with the Spirit. Acts 3 verse 20 talks about times of refreshing, in the presence of the Lord. We need that refreshing. We need that replenishing, that refilling constantly. We also need constant realignment to remember that he is God and you don't need to be. That's good news right there. That he is Lord. It's an invitation for us to let go of the lordship of our lives, which is what you're doing today. He gets to lead. You know what we get to do? We get to rest And we get to follow. So as I wrap up, supply this to you guys. There are three hats that you're going to have to wear. The first one is ambassador. The second one is neighbor. And the third one is worshiper. And worship must come first. Everything must be rooted in the strength of your relationship with God. And we get to be a neighbor. The privilege of touching lives around us, maybe in significant ways, maybe just in small ways. And then we get to be an ambassador, 
representing Jesus with a message of reconciliation, the message of the gospel. So my encouragement to you on this day and to everyone else is to do just that. Do it willingly, do it faithfully, do it enthusiastically and see how God might use you for his glory. And that's what we're praying over you today. Let's praise you. If the worship team would like to come up, that'd be great. Father, we pray for these two young men who stood up bravely today and told us their compelling stories and made strong statements. I'm, I'm here to follow Jesus. He is going to be the Lord of my life. Lord, our prayer is that this would be a deeply significant day for them, shared in joy by their family and friends, and, and that the whole experience of baptism would be meaningful for them. But in, in a sense, that, that's a momentary thing. Actually, there's a lifetime that they are being baptized into. And that life is a life of worship, called to worship, to being a neighbor, and to being an ambassador for Jesus. And we're going to be praying for them today. We're going to be praying that they grow into and they flourish in all of that. That on this day, that they would have that infilling of your spirit, that empowering, that strengthening, that ability to do all of those things. And if we're honest, a little intimidating on our own. Because our prayer, Lord, is that you would use these two lives for your glory. Lord, we see them up here and we're dead proud of them and we can see a little glimpse perhaps of what you've placed inside of them. We're excited by that. And Lord, today it's, it's a giving of it to you. It's a releasing of it to you and say, Lord, would you take these two men and us too and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The, the plan is we are now going to, Gordon, thank you, is going to go and get the kids. And so we're going to just sing a song. Um, you'll love the first line to this. Uh, we're going to sing a song while they're coming down and gathering around. And then we're going to do the thing. And then we'll wrap up. So why don't we stand? You've been sitting down for a while. Thank you for your patience.